a focus summary of Part 2, Chapter 19, through the conclusion. Chapter 19 That evening, Eppie and Silas were alone in the cottage, still gripped by the excitement of the day's discoveries and desiring a moment of quiet to ponder them. He sat in an armchair while she sat facing him, leaning forward, holding both his hands. And beside them on a candlelit table lay the recovered gold. He was explaining to her that there had been a time when the gold had been his only joy. But then she was brought to him, and before long he would have considered it a curse for the gold to come again if it drove her from him. As long as he had Epi, the money could take no hold of him, and its only value to him now lay in how it might benefit her. At that moment there was a knock at the door, and Epi, beautiful with flushed cheeks and welling tears, rose to answer it. There stood Mr. and Mrs. Cass, and Nancy, pale and tremulous, apologized for the disturbance. Epi put out chairs for them and took her place opposite them next to Silas. Godfrey then began a determinedly firm speech in which he apologized for the wrong done to Silas by his family and pronounced his intention to make up for it. He did not yet confess the full reasons for his debt, having been urged by Nancy to approach the subject gradually. Godfrey then prepared the ground for his confession. First, he turned the conversation to the fact that Silas was getting older, that he would not long be able to continue his weaving, and that the recovered money would not last long. Then he praised Silas for the part he had done by Epi, suggesting that it would be a great comfort to Silas to know she could be well provided for and made a lady of. Silas flushed at the implications of this speech, while Epi wondered at the purpose of mentioning them. So Godfrey came to the point, that they would like to take Epi in as a daughter, since they had no children and ample means to provide for one. They assured Silas that Epi would always be grateful to him and would visit him often. Epi could feel Silas trembling violently, and her heart swelled with sympathy as she let her hand rest caressingly against his head. Finally, Silas said faintly that he would leave the decision to her. Banishing all shyness, Epi stepped forward, thanked Mr. and Mrs. Cass, and declared that she did not want to be a lady and could never leave her father. Then she retreated back to his chair, and he took her hand with a subdued sob. Godfrey was irritated at this interference with his determination to do what was right and retrieve his error. He answered in an angry outburst that he had a claim to Epi, because she was in fact his own child. Epi turned pale and gave a violent start. With a tone of bitterness, Silas asked why Godfrey did not make that claim sixteen years before, and declared that he had no right to now. Godfrey admitted to the truth of Silas's words, but still begged him to be reasonable. She would still see Silas, and she would feel just the same towards him. Silas proclaimed with more bitterness than ever that far from being just the same, they would feel they had been cut in two. Godfrey then appealed to Silas's sense of sacrifice, saying that in his care, Epi would be well off and would not be reduced to marrying some low working man. This speech filled Epi with revulsion, but Silas was again stricken with conscience and told Epi he would not stand in her way. 
both Godfrey and Nancy appealed to Eppie directly, saying that with them she would want for nothing and would finally have a mother to care for her. This time, Eppie did not come forward, but held Silas's hand tightly, thanked them for their offers, and said she would cleave to Silas as long as she lived. Nancy looked to Godfrey, but his eyes were fixed on the floor. So she tried the introduction of a word that would best come from her lips, telling Eppie that toward her lawful father she owed a duty. Eppie responded that she could not feel as if she had any father but one. And anyway, this was her home. She intended always to live with Silas and care for him, and she was engaged to a working man. Godfrey, frustrated in the purpose he had set out on with exalted consciousness, looked up at Nancy and said, Let us go. Nancy reminded Silas and Eppie that they only meant to be well-wishers, and then followed behind her husband, who had abruptly departed. Chapter 20 Arriving at home, Godfrey threw himself in a chair, while Nancy stood by the hearth, afraid to speak. At last, he turned his head toward her, and their eyes met in that comforting gaze of mutual trust between husband and wife. Then he took her hand in his and said, That's ended. She agreed that they must give up hope of having Epi for a daughter. With an unusually keen decisiveness of tone, Godfrey admitted that some debts can't be paid like money debts. They agreed there would be no point in making it known that Epi was his daughter, but that they would do what they could, privately, to make her happy in her own way. Godfrey told Nancy that he could see Eppie disliked the thought of being his daughter, and that he supposed she thought he had done wrong by her mother, too, and believed him even worse than he was. But with a change of character that matched his changed tone, he accepted that her dislike was part of his punishment. Nancy offered no words of comfort, thinking his compunction just. But when he told her tenderly how grateful he was that he got her— She assured him that he had never been wanting to her, except in that he had been unresigned to their lot. Godfrey thought that was one error he still might mend. Chapter 21 The next morning, Silas told Eppie that for a long time he had been thinking he would like to return to Lantern Yard, and now that the money had come back to them, it was time to do it. He hoped to discover that the truth had come out about the robbery, and to talk to the minister about the drawing of the lots. Eppie delighted at the prospect of seeing a new country, and of having one little advantage over Aaron, who was always so much wiser. They arrived in a busy manufacturing town, Silas bewildered by all the changes thirty years had brought over his native place. With a few inquiries and some difficulty, he was able to find Prison Street, from which he would be able to navigate his way to his former home. Eppie found the crowded streets stifling and looked forward to returning home to the stone pits. When they reached their destination, Silas stood still in distressed amazement and said, It's gone. Lantern Yard and its chapel had vanished, and a factory stood in their place. When he asked about it in a local brush shop, not even the owner, who had come there ten years before, could tell him a thing about what had become of it and his old friends. Returning home, Silas told Dolly he would never know whether they ever got to the truth. It would remain dark to the last. 
but it didn't matter, because, said Silas, quote, Since the time the child was sent to me and I've come to love her as myself, I've had light enough to trust and buy. And now she says she'll never leave me. I think I shall trust and till I die. Unquote. Conclusion On a warm, sunny day among the blooming lilacs, Epi walked across the churchyard in a wedding dress, with one hand on her husband's arm and the other clasping the hand of Silas. She was assuring her father that he wasn't losing her, but only gaining a son. Dolly and her husband, walking behind them, completed the bridal procession. Among the onlookers were Nancy and her sister Priscilla, who had come to keep her company since Godfrey had to be away. Mr. Macy watched from the armchair that had been set up outside his door, and at Dolly's suggestion they stopped to say hello. He took credit for having seen the good in Marner and for having predicted his money would return, and he told them that he would have married them if he could have, but that Tukey would do a serviceable job in his place. The party guests who were assembled at the Rainbow arrived early enough to gossip before the feast. But unlike times past, sentiment now merged in agreement that Silas deserved his good luck and that it was their part only to wish him joy. The bridal group was received with a hearty cheer. Back at the stone pits, Epi had a larger garden than she had ever expected, one of the many alterations made at the expense of Mr. Cass. The garden was fenced on two sides, but in front there was an open fence through which the flowers shone with answering gladness. And the novel concludes with Epi saying, Oh, Father, what a pretty home ours is. I think nobody could be happier than we are.